got friends, only wanna talk business. I got expensive, cause when is expensive? I got expensive, cause when is expensive? I've been reading all the work. And welcome to Put That Coffee Down, the Freight Sales Podcast and show for closers. My name is Kevin Hill. Here I'm your host, along with my co-host, Richie Daigle. How are you doing today, Richie? Doing all right. Yeah. Doing all right. Yeah. Yeah. Off to a good week. Yeah. Things are going well. Things are going well. Uh, Picking up some good momentum and yeah, had some good coffee today as well. I know, right? Doing nice. I, I did too. I, I started off today at Starbucks. No one else could. Everyone's saying that the Starbucks is out of everything, but I just get normal coffee. You know, not not some outrageous uh, orders uh, that I hear. Do you ever walk into a coffee shop, especially Starbucks, and people the, their order takes about five minutes to describe all the different flavors they want in their their, their Starbucks? Don't have time for that. It's just like, hey, I want coffee. I want espresso. I, I need the substance. I don't need the filler. That's where I'm at. Cut down on those calories. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to taste coffee when I drink coffee. I know. I know. We, we have a, a great, uh, theirs was out of cups. So I don't know how <laughs> Starbucks runs out of cups, but I, I guess it did. Uh, That's <laughs> a problem. <laughs> you got to think real creatively if you want to get coffee to people without a cup. I know. You, you really do. <laughs> you, you really do. Uh, we have a great show for you today, talking about sales, talking about routing guides, that bane of existence for all of us in transportation, right, Richie? Routing guides, and why they always fail. Three of the top reasons why they always fail. They do. They, they do always fail. I mean, they're the thing that you need and you can't live without, and then the thing that also keeps you up at night. <laughs> so. It really is. It really is. We'll have Omar Singh uh, from Surge Transportation up here uh, talking about that or article that he wrote for FreightWaves.com recently. And we'll go through three of those top reasons for that. And it, it kind of goes, we were talking right before we came on the show about uh, a French philosopher and organisms, you know, multi-organism. And that's one of the reasons why they, they always fail is because we're really bad at predicting the future because it's just not really us. We're a product of a large group uh, that it, that has a, a strange distribution at oftentimes. Yeah. And sometimes it, goes rogue. Exactly. And then, you know, there's a, a, a philosopher who coined some term called hyperobjects. And I think what he was getting at was there's, there are these entities in the world, whether it's the internet or climate change or the economy of New York City. There are these large, hyper big objects and they, they function as organisms. You know, they have mm-hmm. lots of different things that are that are moving them and controlling them and impacting them and they're really hard to pin down. And you know, freight is like that as well. Um, and I, I think freight fits into that to that definition. And um, you know, when you're putting together a routing guide, you are trying to figure out how this organism is going to meet your needs. And there are all these different things that are pulling it in different ways, whether it's imports or truck driver shortages or capacity issues or what's happening in the neighboring market. All these things that are, you know, can be outside of your vision that have massive implications into what's going to happen with your routing guide. And I think at the end of the day, humans just are not good at predicting the future. No. We fell at it 100% of the time. You, you know? know, if we were better at it, a lot more of us would be millionaires. Uh, we probably would. You know, <laughs> someone would figure out how to predict the stock market. But the, the stock market and the equity market, any kind of financial market, the trucking market being one of those, uh, you know, it's that living organism that makes 
there's just too many variables to to calculate all of those and you have the butterfly effect uh, you have the black swan effect you have all of these different things that we just can't predict at, at all so we're kind of prisoners of that and the routing guide is a a good example of that and we have some really interesting stats uh, that we'll show once omar comes on it's a survey that we did here at freight waves not too long ago about about RF, the RFP process and routing guides, and you know, oftentimes it takes six months to put a route, put an RFP together, get the bids, and roll out a routing guide, and then start executing that. And I, I think we all know over the last fifteen months or something that, you know, the world kind of changes in, in those six <laughs> months, right? You know, it's a very volatile. Uh, it, it's always volatile in trucking, right? You have these twelve to eighteen month cycles. Uh, and then we have these, ex and it's usually externally driven in a lot of ways. It's not really internally driven. It's, it's the economy. It's those, uh, what, what do you call them? Uh, black swan events or, well, not or, black swan or hyper event. objects. Yeah. Hyper objects, yeah, right? Yeah. The hyper objects, butterfly effects coming in. Uh, so it, it's really good to be flexible and be dynamic. Definitely. 100%. You know, and I think routing guys, the way they were pre-pandemic, <laughs> I'm going to go out here and make a crazy assumption yeah. is that routing guides currently are a lot different than they were before the pandemic. And, you know, the, the pandemic's taken all the variables that can impact a routing guide. And if you treat each variable as a snowflake in a snow globe and the pandemic was like, Yee. and, you know, it's not, it, it's not really settled down yet, you know, and the, 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 we don't know what this snowflake is going to do. Is it going to float over here and settle or is it going to drop straight down? Like, I don't know. And so it's a, at best, it's an educated guessing game. And, you know, I think back to when I was, uh, uh, you know, several years ago working in restaurants, you know, you have a 500 wine you know, mm -hmm. list and, and you're expected to be this master of all of these wines, right? Like you need to know all the answers and all the things about these things. And no, you don't. You just need to know where the answers live. And, and with yeah. routing guides, it's kind of like that. It's not so much having this perfectly you know, executed or put together routing guide. No, it's figuring out how the routing guide is going to uh, handle massive failure. <laughs> you know, it should be built for massive failures, right? Yeah. I mean, that, that should be, and Omar will, will certainly talk about that. Let's talk about surge for just a second here. Surge Transportation's fastest growing 3PL in the logistics space today, based in Chicago and Jacksonville. They offer unrestricted access to almost all accounts, limitless territory, and a chance to be a key player in a growing company. To find out more, email jobs at surgetransportation.com. Once again, that's jobs at surgetransportation.com. And you spell surge, S-U-R-G-E, just like the, the surge in a hyper whatever you call it. <laughs> yeah. I, I keep on forgetting what it is. What is a hyper what, hyper object? Yeah, that, that's the term that was, that was coined. And uh, I think that it's just a word where we didn't really have a good English word for this big organism that we can't really get our minds around. But that's essentially what, what my, my take on the word was. And uh, whether it's climate change or, or the internet or economies or, or trucking as a whole, I think it applies to all of it, these it big does. things. It yeah. does. You know, one thing, good, uh, one thing that philosophy is very good at is just coining terms. <laughs> very good. Ill-defined sometimes, but, but yeah. certainly. So, so that is, is something we really can't predict. We're going to talk about something you can predict. You know, it's not a statistical law, but it, it, it works. 
time over time over time. And you brought up a good example of it, and that is the Pareto principle. And you're talking about being a restaurant worker, having a wine list of 500. You don't need to know all 500, do you? Because guess what sells the most? 20% of that. 20% of that is 80% of the sales. So you just need to know the top 20%. 100%. You yep. know? Yeah, yeah. It's what, what, what was the, the comedy thing where it says uh, it works 50% of the time, 100% of every time, or 100% of the time every... Was that Anchorman? An- Anchorman. That's it was right. Anchorman, yeah. yes. I, I, I just butchered that, but yeah, let's... That's okay. It was the, uh, the, the Panther. So right there's the Parader uh, principle right there on the screen. And that is, if you take... Take almost anything. It doesn't have to be in business, but it works very well in business and sales in just about any type of hyper object even. Mm-hmm. You know, earnings. When we talk about stock market earnings and the quarterly earnings, the top, the, the richest 20% of the company, or companies generate 80% of the earnings on, I, I believe, the S&P, probably the, the, the Russell 500, certainly. We all talk about it, the top 20 or the top 20% of earners right? Control 80% of the wealth. And it's even more concentrated than that. So it's not always 20, 80%, but it's at least 80%, right? And if you look through almost anything, that top 20% is going to generate at least 80%. And then you can dissect that 20% into the Pareto principle out of that 20% coverage. And it applies to time as well. It does. And I find that uh, in, in a number of different sales roles that I've been in, I'll spend, you know, <laughs> these people come in and it doesn't take much time and great sales happen, right? Yes. 20% of my time and boom, 80% of the, the income that's coming in. And uh, meanwhile, I can spend all kinds of hours, uh, you, know, 80, you know, a huge chunk of time bringing in not so much business, right? So how, you know, it, it affects the, the dollars, it affects the, the time management, it, it applies to so many things. It really does. I mean, it's all about uh, whatever you want to call time management, right? Mm-hmm. Is is twenty percent of your effort generates eighty percent? So you got to figure out what that twenty percent is. What, what's that twenty percent that you're doing right, and what's that eighty percent that is just wasting your time? And and that's the first first part of of analyzing all of these. And <clears throat> it is. I mean, in business, it is 20% of your customers generate 80% of your revenue. 20% of your salespeople generate 80% of the revenue. Do you get it's as of, simple as that. Do you get rid of the other 80%? You don't get rid of all of the 80%, <laughs> but you be selective. I mean, you have different, uh, you, you want to go out and get more customers like the 20%. Exactly. Right? And you might want to call the, the bottom 20% because that 20% might be taking up 80% of your time and adding nothing to your bottom line. Well, those, those are just percentages, right? And you mm-hmm. want the dollar figures that are represented within that 20 cent, 20% to grow. To, so to your point, if you're constantly building on the, the time and what is producing mm-hmm. and culling what isn't, then that those percentages are moving forward in the, uh, the, the actual magnitude of what they represent. Exactly, right? So, so you're still going to have that 20, 80% even after you do all that, but the magnitude is going to be larger, right? It's going to be more profitable. And that's something that uh, if if you're a salesperson out there, your individual book of business, especially as a freight broker, uh, anywhere in freight tech, you you really have to to, to really evaluate that because that drag on your earnings is capturing the most valuable, sacred resource that you have, which is time. 
Exactly. And, and this gets into something that, you know, I'd like to do a show on maybe in the future, but mm -hmm. like a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. Um, and, and always having the mindset of not thinking that this is the end all be all correct way of operating, but mm -hmm. always questioning and always looking to enhance and viewing failure as a learning opportunity and saying that even though something might have failed, what we learned is still progressing us forward, right? And growing yes. those magnitudes. And uh, yeah, so it, it all fits together. And, and that was, uh, that was uh, David Hoffeld, Science of Selling, that we yeah. had on, on Put That Coffee Down mm -hmm. twice uh, over the last few months. Please go back and, and watch those. I mean, he, he really talked about it. I think that first episode he was on, we really talked about the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset. Oh, uh, I could talk about that subject I, I could like, for weeks. We'll just have David back on. We'll <laughs> yeah. talk to him, talk to him about it uh, again. So examples of Pareto and sales is it's the reason why you build personas of your most profitable customers and focus on prospects that match that is because that's your top 20% that's generating 80% of your revenue. Cold calling, emailing, messaging. It's always most effective to make most of your calls before office hours and or after. Right? Because it's not about how many calls you make. It's not about the hours. If you do 10 hours of activity a day, if you do that unproductively, you're going to get minimal results, right? You want to, you want to really focus your time. And instead of 10 hours, maybe do, or instead of eight hours, right? Maybe do just one hour of calling, but at the best time, you get the most results. You want to better your probabilities. It all, all about come, probability. It all comes, you know, that's in pitching. They talk about that, right? Yeah. It's, only strikes you already have good probabilities because all hitters are terrible like you know, the best ones are going to get out 60 percent of the time and they're really good and so if i can just chuck it over the plate my odds are 60 percent. i'm getting them out but if i can grow those odds by being strategic with what pitch i'm choosing where i'm throwing it how i'm delivering it and if i can execute on that plan then my odds are going to grow and, and that's going to pay dividends down the road. It's the same way with your your activities as a salesperson. It's not, you don't have to throw 100 miles an hour. You don't have to have lightning stuff and this incredible delivery. If you're just able to place your pitch at the right place, you know, the, in, in the right location at the right time, and and keep people off balance a little bit, you know, the odds are going to play out. So the odds, are, and you can see that in the hitting charts. Whenever you know that they do the diagram of you know the last. 20 or 50 yeah. plate appearances where the base hits hard and stuff is 20% of the area is is 90% or more of the results, right? Everything else. So if you're a hitter, going back to the hitter, is if you don't hit it in your sweet spot, you're not, it, you, it's a waste of swing. Yeah. And, and you know, it, I encourage anybody, it's my little baseball tidbit of the day, but if you go watch ESPN or whatever and you're watching home runs, just count how many home runs were pitches that were up in the zone. Yeah. And it's the vast majority. The ball is closer to hitters' eyes. They see it better. Uh, I mean, if there's a second rule after throwing strikes, it's throw low strikes as a pitcher. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Keep the ball down. Keep it away from their eyes, and you, you're going to be better off. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, you, you, you really are. My baseball takeaway is Jacob DeGrom is the best pitcher in baseball. I can't argue Hands that. Down. Can't argue that at and all. And I'm not saying that because I'm a New York Mets fan. <laughs> I, I, I'm a little bit biased. I understand but he still is the best pitcher in the game. Okay, find the right amount of research and prep. Most salespeople either spend no time researching and or prepping for a call or, or a cold call or a presentation or waste too much time trying to know everything about a prospect before reaching out, right? That's, if, if you do too much prep, it's 
actually counterproductive. Yeah, and you don't want to call someone and say, "Hey, I saw that you were uh, uh, prom king in your high school," and you know, like you, you don't want to like start approaching them with some sort of like crazy facts that are going to be weirded out, right? Exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. You you want to be a little bit surprised about what you find out, so exactly. it can be genuine. Yep. Yep. If you already know all the answers and you're asking leading questions, is you lose all your genuine qualities, right? You want to be a little bit surprised. You want to be engaged, and that's how you become engaged. Nobody wants to answer the phone and feel like they're talking to somebody that's reading a script. No, that they really don't. Whether they're reading a script or not, you know, it's just not enjoyable. It, it is not. It, it is not. Certainly. Try focusing on only the actions that are going to move the needle. Think in terms of exponential growth. Life isn't linear. I think uh, we're going to have uh, a little bit more talking points about that when Omar comes on here in, in a few minutes because life isn't linear. Exactly. It, it really isn't. Yep. You, can, you can toil around and nothing is happening. Nothing is happening. You feel like a failure because just nothing is happening. But if you set everything up for exponential growth, then that you are building up to that. And all of a sudden, it's exponential. That's how an exponential curve works, right? It, it, it is. Nothing, yeah. nothing, 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 lift off. Yeah. <laughs> it's like hitting home runs, grand slams, instead mm -hmm. of singles. Ex and, singles and are, are linear, right? Back to, I mean, I'm full of baseball stuff today, but you go back to baseball <laughs> and, you know, all the years in the minors that you're spent is like no money, no money, no money, no money, no money. And you get a phone call and it's like money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that is exactly right, right? It's, it's just exponential. You know, the, the difference between AAA and, and Major League Baseball is one step, except in money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, people watching you and fame <laughs> yeah. and difficulty. Right. But the actual game is like you're splitting hairs as far as the difference between double A, triple A, and the majors. It's, that level of baseball is essentially the same. Um, but yeah, it, it's amazing how it's, uh, there's some notable differences. There are definitely. <laughs> and finally, examples do the things that no one else is doing. You know, be creative, think outside the box, do things that uh, eliminates your competition. And that, so a lot of times that's getting up and, and making your cold calls at 7 a.m., 7.15, you know, but before office hours, right? You get rid of the gatekeepers. You get more attention from your prospects. Most salespeople roll in. The average salesperson, right, rolls in maybe five minutes late, uh, gets their cup of coffee, maybe goes down to Starbucks, gets their cup of coffee, and uh, then they have to prepare, right? Mm -hmm. They have to do all these things. All of a sudden, it's 10, 10.30, 11 o'clock before they're, they're, they're making their calls with everybody else out there making the calls at the same time. And you have a lot of competition in that window. You, you got to test, right? You have to test things. So if you call somebody in the morning and they don't answer, don't call them at the exact same time again the next yeah. day, right? Like, okay, we didn't get through. Let's try a different time. So like, yeah, whether you're doing morning, before and after, or if you are making calls during the day, because yeah, you got to work during your work day too, you know, but mix it up. Change things. Try to try different time slots and see what works. And what you probably shouldn't do, you know, is is double call people. <laughs> you right? just got I mean, double called think? right before the show. I, I, I do. I, I get double called all the time, and, and it's it's a little bit annoying. You know, if I don't have time to answer the phone right now, calling me right after you hang up uh, a second time is not really going to. Uh, I'd say to do anything before you double call somebody, put yourself in their shoes. Yeah. And say if I was sitting with however I perceive that individual. Would I want to be double called? I know. And then- Would you if, want to be triple called? Yeah. What, how would that make me feel? <laughs> <laughs> it, 
It might be helpful. <laughs> I know, right? Like triple call, you know, like like if you do a triple call, you might not want the person to answer because they're probably not going to answer with uh, anything In the nice way that you want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, real quick, uh, we'll do our, our, our uh, we'll talk about how to test out Pareto principles and then we'll have Omar come on. I see over here that he is ready and, and, and raring to go. So if you're a salesperson, especially in Pareto, this works really well with your book of business, right? Take a look at all the shippers that you've moved loads with uh, for over the past three to six months, right? And, and if you have a dozen that, that qualifies for 20, you know, it, it works out the, the bigger the number, uh, actually. Uh, add up the number of loads and the margin or gross revenue, right? Either one works, margin or gross revenue of all of those loads by client, of course. Run the numbers, always run the numbers. You can't measure, you can't, yeah, you can't measure what you can't measure. You can't judge what you can't measure, whatever. There you go. <laughs> Something Peter Drucker said, I, I can't remember. Uh, most likely, top 20% will account for at least 80% of that revenue, if not 90, if not 95%. Mm -hmm. So take a look, you know, certainly take a good look at the top 20%, build a persona. That's where you should focus your time on growing your book of business. Take a really good look at those bottom 20%, though, and see how much margin this group contributes to your bottom line. Because it might surprise you how little it is really how little it is. And then, you know, start thinking about that bottom 20% because oftentimes they're, they're the most high maintenance because, you know, they contribute nothing. So they always have problems themselves, right? They're usually dysfunctional companies themselves who yeah. you're taking over. They're outsourcing part of their dysfunction to you. So you're handling their dysfunction and you're not making any money off of it. And you will probably see this once you do this analysis is that they're high maintenance, they cause you problems, they eat up your most precious resource, which is time. time. Exactly. So oftentimes, if you just jettison, if you subtract that 20% out, or maybe it's 10%, right? It's, it's going to be something at the, the tail end. You probably don't lose anything. Yeah, and you can actually gain. Gain back your weekends or something. And if you can keep progressing those percent, the magnitude of those percentages, yes. ultimately, you'd like to get to where that bottom 20% is actually somewhat profitable. I know, right? That's a nice place. It, it is. It is. So that where you really have to think, well, do I really want to get rid of this bottom 20? Yeah. Because it is a nice little change. It's nothing like the top 20% or that middle portion. But you know what? I mean, it's we're, now we're talking about money. Yeah. Because oftentimes that negative 20%, maybe that negative 10% might be a negative number. Yep. It might be a negative number on your margin because of dysfunctionality, cheap cheap rates, uh, anything like that. So it's very important to, to run this analysis. And what I'll do is I'll post this with uh, our post on LinkedIn on the show, step-by-step uh, -step instructions. And it'll be interesting. You know, go run this analysis and shoot me, a, a, or Richie, a, a, a direct message on LinkedIn and tell me what you find because I'll be really interested. Because I've done this in my book of businesses before. And uh, I, I can tell you, it's especially in freight brokerage, it really pans out the Pareto effect. Yeah, we like information. So whether it's uh, anecdotal or whether it's like, hey, we did a study, like, yeah, send send us what you what you're seeing and, and your thoughts and comments, and um, yeah, let's see what what comes in. Yeah, it'll be very interesting. So let's talk now with Omar. Omar Singh, the, uh, the founder of Surge Transportation. Thank you for joining us today, Omar. Hey, guys. Happy to be back. Nice to see you today. Good to see you, too. Good to see you, too. So uh, for our audience that, that aren't, aren't familiar 
with yourself in search transportation. Can you give us a brief introduction? Quick introduction. Yes, yeah, search transportation. We're um, we're brokers. We're not asset based. Our offices are in Jacksonville, Chicago. I have a, a, a background as a as a driver and a trucking company owner, over the road driver, owner operator. Uh, I worked as a broker for some of the large national firms after my trucking company closed at the end of the recession and um, <clears throat> had some experience with the large firms. So really learned a lot about how they operate rather than my medium sized trucking company and then um, took surge independent at the end of 2016. And, uh, you know, I have some strategies you guys are, are, are talking about creator principle. I, this is going to be a fun conversation because it, it works the opposite in, in our business where that that 20 percent is kind of the space that we play in. But um, and we try to make it easier for our customers. So it's, it's going to be a fun conversation. But, um, yeah, thank you for having me on the show. And, um, yeah, a little bit about about us. Yeah, let's, uh, let's we have a sonar chart here. Let, let's throw that up. And and set the stage for the market. And this is uh, right here, Richie. This is yeah. your customs, customs and TEUs. And we'll talk about uh, you know tell us a little bit about what you're seeing here, and then we'll talk about Ryan Garrett's because it, it falls neatly into that. Yeah. So I, I thought this would be a good a good chart to kind of kick off the conversation with. You know what you're seeing with the blue line. These are actual import volumes being reported from customs. So this is you know updating every day within Sonar, and we can see these volumes coming in through all the ports of the U.S., and that's what you see there in the blue line, pretty straightforward. That green line, those are TEUs that are being booked to head to the U.S. They're being tendered electronically to be placed on vessels uh, that are bound for some port in the U.S., and so we all know that it takes a little bit of time, uh, you know, a couple of days before a TEU is tendered electronically before it's placed on the vessel. And that vessel has quite the voyage, you know, a few weeks, uh, depending on where it's coming from and where it's going before it hits port. So that green line gives us a great indicator of what's to be expected with the blue line uh, in the coming weeks. And, you know, what we're seeing is that green line's picking up to, uh, you know, all-time highs. There's a lot of freight. The, the number of TEUs that are being booked bound for the U.S., is is skyrocketing and so that's you know as imports come in that's going to suck up capacity that's going to lead to some routing guide issues it, it is and we've seen this kind of in waves throughout the last last year so omar uh how does this uh, get it from firsthand knowledge here how does that affect routing guides yeah i, I love that slide it's, it's a perfect one for this conversation today because it, that's exactly i think the number one you saw the green line the green line is kind of showing you the volume that's projected. And, and it was somewhat straight, right? I mean, it's going up, but it was somewhat linear. And then the blue line showing the actual daily volumes. And that's really the way that, you know, at least very large enterprise shippers build their routing guide. As they say, they, they divide the number of forecasted loads that they're going to have on a certain lane every year. They essentially divide it by 52 and then say, we're going to either have seven loads a week or we're going to have 21 loads a week, and sometimes they'll divide it by the day. And then what they do is they secure capacity in a linear way and say, okay, there are going to be 21 loads on this lane. Give me three trucks a day for seven days. And then, and then you know, the customers order all of the loads in one day or maybe over two days, and then the capacity isn't there. So it's this perfectly executed routing guide strategy, which is to say, I'm forecasting this much freight 
and I'm securing this much capacity. But then when the days don't match up, it, it, it doesn't work. And then they're sort of either left without capacity or they're going to spot or they're going to some alternative form of sourcing capacity, which is usually more expensive and, and, and more volatile. But it's kind of what everybody does. And they say, well, let's just divide evenly by 52, maybe even divide by seven. And, and that looks perfect on paper, but it's just not. And, and so that slide is perfect. It's, it's the exact thing that we're talking about. The green line's somewhat straight and the blue line's just not. So three yeah, charts a day, yeah. Oh, no, so, sorry. And it goes to, to the article that you wrote for, for Regulars.com. And that's the number one of the three top reasons or three common reasons why routing guides always fail. And it's a, a perfect thing that, you know, perfect, uh, uh, you know, perfect description of what we were talking about earlier on, you know, life isn't linear. Yeah, yeah, I, it's exactly the same. It's exactly the same way. And <clears throat> so just like the container volumes aren't linear, truckload volumes aren't lim- linear, <laughs> life isn't linear, lots of curveballs right but um but 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 it's just what everybody does in this industry and we really just talk about it with all of our customers and try to say come on we have to we have to recognize that even though this is a a perfect strategy to forecast and balance the awards and capacity with the forecast it's it's not going to go right and we're seeing it really bad in, in in this market right and so what i said in the article last week was that the first time I started speaking on this, um, tender rejection rates were at somewhere between five and ten percent on these large accounts, and now, right, we're looking at we're, we're hovering in the mid twenties, we're peaking in the forties. Like, this is a significant part of, of of their annual volume, right? Where I mean, just the capacity is not there, even on a even on a, a linear um, sort of tendering, right? If if their end customers are smoothing the orders and they they try to get it as close to three a day as possible, um, but the capacity is just not there right now. So, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, will understand the, the the correlation of you know you see tender rejections go up and uh, you know the waterfall effect, and you have more loads falling through the routing guide and into the spot market, and and that you know as a result spot spot rates go up and people are paying hefty premiums to move that freight. But I think that there's a lot of time, and 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 you. Tell me if I'm right here, or, or tell me your thoughts. I'm, I'm curious to hear hear your perspective. But how much time is being spent um, trying to get freight moved when capacity becomes an issue? Like it, it, it seems like it's hitting companies not only on the the dollars and cents, but also on the on just man hours to to, to get freight moved. Well, yeah, it's 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 um it's is Pareto all over again, right? You're spending essentially 90% of your time maybe to get the last 10% of your freight moved or your, or 80% of your time to get 20 of it moved. It's it's hard when it's not out there and it doesn't, It do, the system's just not working. Um, I think one of the things that I've seen over the years that people are doing less of now that maybe would be helpful um, is they used to, larger shippers, I used to see more of it where they would, allocate their awards say they're going you know three deep on the routing guide or four deep on the routing guide by a percentage of the volume so your your carrier base was always sort of engaged right where maybe go 25 percent of the volume to these four carriers so so they're always there and they're always running the lane and i guess as a strategy to to cut costs what people are doing more of now 
is they're giving the first right of refusal to the cheapest, right? So then whoever was second or third in line, they might not see freight on that lane for, for weeks or months. Or, I mean, in this market, they're seeing it, right? But, but they're not strategically sort of engaged on that lane throughout the year, every week, because they're not getting the 20% allocation or 25% or whatever, it's 50% allocation. So they know the freight's going to be there. And then to just get the tender only when, you know, the primary can't take it if they're taking 90%, it just, it doesn't work. And so the capacity essentially, it, it goes elsewhere. So it's almost now to where if the primary can't take it and you're not, you're not giving the allocation to the secondary and to the third, you know, their, their trucks aren't there. They're certainly not waiting around for the loads. Um, so I think that's something that contributes to, 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 you know, the situation that we all see right now with the rejection rates being up because now that secondary is getting, you know, they're, they're getting the tender offer, but it's like, I don't, I don't have the truck. I haven't seen this freight in weeks or months. You know, I'm not waiting around for it. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's, that's definitely one of the, the problems, right? Because if you're not seeing the freight that uh, on, on those lanes, you're going to, yeah, it's all about asset utilization, right? If right. you're a carrier and if you're a freight broker, it's all about time allocation. And you're not going to focus on developing those relationships if you're a freight broker in those lanes if you're not seeing freight from them because you're seeing freight in other lanes. And that's where your, your, your time is certainly spent. And it kind of goes into your, your second uh, second reason why routing kites usually fall. And that's service providers are expected to accept about 95% of the tenders offered to them. Um, but when capacity is, is, is tight like this, it's a guessing game of, of, of where that capacity is needed. Yeah, well, even, you know, I mean, even in a loose market, right? I mean, so we mm -hmm. talk about maximum asset utilization. Trucks aren't really, they don't have extra capacity waiting around. And so, you know, even in a loose market with a lot of the large shippers, we're talking 100,000 to 500,000 loads a year, you know, 5% is still a, a big number. And I think that a lot of times they don't strategically, um, either go deep enough on their contingency strategy or deep enough on the routing guide, but to say, like, this is a problem. You know, you talk to most medium-sized shippers who say, if, if they know they're going to have 5,000 loads or 10,000 or 20,000 that they don't have capacity for, it's it's a big problem. And I think that the, uh, I always say the spot market is, it's absence of a strategy. It's not, it's not an actual strategy to account for the fact that, say, in a in, in in a loose market, somewhere between five and twenty thousand times, you're going to need extra capacity. Let's just send it to spot. That I think that's an absence of a strategy. But I mean, it's 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 something that works, and then it's something that we see takes a lot of time, costs a lot of money. You experience a lot of volatility. So that's that's not really a strategy. It's it's what people do, but you know, it it, it doesn't work. Um, and now with the tender compliance um, being so low or the rejection rates being so high. Um, yeah, shippers are just scrambling to, um, I'm seeing more opportunities. I think a lot of brokers are seeing more opportunities. Anyone who says I can kind of get you a truck is they're getting a shot, right? Whereas in a loose market, maybe they don't get a shot. Um, just because you get a shot, it doesn't mean you necessarily have the capacity or the rates work, right? There's still a lot more to it than getting a shot. But, um, yeah, I, I argue for, I, I just, I speak and write on these things where I just argue that other strategies should be in place rather than just relying on spot 
So in a, in a loose market, if you know it's 5% tender rejection, okay, what are you going to do with that 5%, right? In a tight market like this, if it's 20 to 40, who knows where it's going to go, you know, in the next year. Um, I think real systems need to be designed around how to secure capacity rather than just saying, let's auction it off, see what happens. You know, maybe we get lucky. Maybe we've got good service. Maybe we get a truck. Um, so it's, it's a scramble right now for everybody, for sure. It seems like, uh, you know, if, if I'm hearing you correctly and reading the article correctly here, um, companies may have a difficult time figuring out where that 5% is going to be, which lanes and at what time and over what time. Like that could be part of the problem with developing a strategy is, is like, OK, how do we even identify what to address? What what can companies do to address that and and what kind of strategies can they put together not only to identify those lanes that are high risk, but what kind of strategies can they put in place to make sure that they're covered if the, if disruption happens? Well, I mean, I always argue, you know, our business model really in, in, in some form or another, and we do different pricing strategies and different capacity strategies with our customers. But I, I always argue for some form of contingency design with your most strategic players so that and again however the model makes sense for an individual a shipper supply chain in terms of cost and capacity and relationships i think kind of like you guys said you know the i think the strategic partnership has to be alive and well right for you to to give somebody loads on a short lead time tender or whatever expect them to be there if it's seven o'clock at night or seven o'clock in the morning, you know, there, there has to be enough essentially life into these partnerships that that they work and the team is in place and probably a, a somewhat sizable team that maybe is, you know, devoted to the account. But um, so we we typically will argue for some form of a, a backup strategy where we're even lower than, you know, number two or three on the routing guide. Um, and we expect short lead time. We expect problems. We expect, you know, maybe holidays or weather or, you know, some some form of it being more difficult to move the load. And so it's not priced as a primary. Right. It has to be ballpark. It has to be reasonable. It has to be collaborative where we all sit down and say, you know, what are the expectations and what are expectations for for lead time? You know, is it 24 hours um, to ship? Is it 3 p.m. the day before, which is what we do a lot of the time. Is it 48 hours? Um, you know, and then there's pricing strategies in there that if you're collaborative about them, they make more sense than than going to auction, right? Where where not only is the price volatile, but usually the service is volatile too. Sometimes you get sometimes you get good service and, and sometimes you don't because people don't have enough consistency in your sites uh, to understand kind of what needs to be done and to be successful. Not necessarily because they're not capable, but if, they, if, if they're not doing enough of the work with you, it's just, you know, transportation is transportation, but, but sites and companies are different. Um, and if they're, you know, we even experience, um, you know, we all say this, something's going to go wrong on the first load, right? It always does because we're just, you're just learning the people, you're learning the sites, you're learning the communication, you're learning the timing. And, um, and if you don't have that consistency, it's, it's very difficult, I think, to be successful. So no, no truer words said. Everything goes wrong on that first load. <laughs> yeah. 
I've been through so many of those that it's it's I, all I can do is laugh. Because if I, if I didn't laugh, I'd just sit here and cry. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so Omar, I have a, a couple, two or three charts here that, that we, we did a recent survey with Trimble, a uh, free tech company, uh, about routing guides and, and RFPs. Here's a report. If we go to the, the first, uh, there's three questions here. It kind of sets up the, the issues uh, that we've been talking about with, with routing guides. And, and right here, we asked shippers, what length of contract do you prefer with your truckload carriers or freight broker brokerage partners? Half or, or 12 months, you know, if you take in six to, to 12 months or longer, uh, that's that's 80 percent. And predictive powers, you know, 12 months down the line, uh, I, I think after the last 12 months, we can all say are pretty bad. So there's the first one. The, the second one here is, is interesting as well, because it's how many trans, transportation providers, which means carriers and freight brokers and, and any, anyone else that, that bids on there. Uh, do you normally invite into your RFPs? And, you know, again, it's, it's about a third. Uh, if you take it up to, to tw under 25 partners, that's about half of all shippers. So it's, it's pretty selective what they, who they invite, which is uh, an, another issue because you're talking about capacity, you're talking about lane networks and, and matching things. If we go to the final slide here, the most important factors to consider other than price, right? And capacity commitments for your transportation, which kind of runs into the third reason why routing guides fall or fell. Uh, and then volume commitments for your load volumes, maximizing truck utilization. So those are the, the more, more the, the, the most common themes rated one through five, five being the, the, most, uh, the most important to, to shippers. So if we take in, kind of absorb this data on, on this survey, uh, what would you make of that? I mean, what's what, what, what would be your kind of your initial thoughts for it? Well, I think, yeah, initially I looked at the first slide, which is the duration of the RFP event. Mm -hmm. and, and I think for the first time, really, our whole industry is reckoning with this. You know, it, it kind of started yep. with COVID and driver capacity and volumes and imports. And um, I think right now, I'm seeing, I think for the first time in my experience, where people are really reckoning with saying, all right, 12 months doesn't work here, really. It, does, it doesn't work that well. We're just going to keep on doing many bids. We're going to keep on doing many because carriers aren't able to you know, guarantee this capacity. And maybe it's rates, maybe it's capacity. Uh, so to go hand in hand, but it's not the same thing, right? If drivers are retiring or they're afraid of operating in areas where, where there's COVID outbreaks, it's all kind of starting to settle down now. But I'm seeing for the first time a lot of 90-day uh, RFPs. Um, I'm even seeing um, just situations where people are saying, you know, give me a 30-day rate, give me a 45-day rate. I get it because we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen in peak summer season. We don't know what's going to happen in Q4 right now. Um, so at least there's some some realistic um, conversations having, uh, you know, taking place around that. And then obviously, you know, we talk about it with our company and other TMS integrations. I think there's a lot of people who are really open to real-time pricing right now to even saying, okay, I, I get it. It's, it's, it's sort of a spot model, but it's not entirely a spot model. And, and if I want my freight moved, um, we just have to kind of pay what the market is, right, in order to secure the capacity. Um, and so they're very open to saying, I, I, I get it. I'm going to get as much lockdown capacity as I can. 
in a 90 day RFP or a six month or, or a year. And then I also get it, you know, there's a certain amount if it's tender rejections or 20% is 20, if it's 30, you know, we have customers that are sending 40% of their freight into a real time environment. So that's like a daily RFP, right? I mean, mm -hmm. so, but I, I, I think that the, the acceptance of that shorter term is, I, it, I mean, it's the most I've ever seen as long as I've been doing this and the acceptance of real time. So call it a 24 hour RFP. 30 days, 90 days, we're just seeing so much of that. Um, and I, I, I hadn't really experienced it in the past where giving a 30 day rate was, was okay. Unless it was for an event, like a holiday, you know, I need a little bit of, a little bit of extra capacity around this holiday or around this promotion back to school, you know, um, whatever it is, but for the consistent, like volume of business that you have, uh, it's the first time I've seen kind of the openness to super short-term pricing just to secure capacity. Do you think that's here to stay? Do you think that trend is sustainable for, for all the parties involved? And do you think that it's here to stay? Or do you think that, you know, once we kind of get back to some sort of normalcy on the other end of the pandemic, that we'll just revert back to longer, longer term RFPs? And I, I guess a, a, a piggyback off of that, if we return to a, a situation where we have another 2019, which was a year of nothing happening, you know, five to seven percent rejection rates, no volatility. Uh, everything was just hunky dory, especially on the, the shipper side, finding capacity. Uh, you know, do, do you think we slide back into the, the old ways of thinking? I, I'm scared. I'm I'm scared. I don't have a crystal ball. I'm I'm scared about what's happening. You know, I think for the last 15 years, everyone's been saying driver shortage, driver shortage, driver shortage, and it hasn't really happened. But it's starting to happen, right? Um, they talk about autonomous trucks, but it's kind of like, you know, planes can fly themselves. We have drones, but we don't really have pilotless airplanes. I think you guys were talking about that before. So I don't think that the autonomous trucks are really going to change the capacity issues of drivers, the demographic of their age. Some of that was accelerated by COVID, but I don't, I don't think that post-pandemic, call it, whatever that is, July or, you know, October, we hit a 70% um, vaccination rate. I don't think that it's changing soon. Um, I, I could be wrong about that, but um, certainly right now, um, I think the mindset's going to change. I think the mindset from what we're seeing um, with our customers and what we're hearing with TMS integrations, I think people are open to real time. Uh, they're open to saying, you know, I, I'm talking to lots of customers about using a reliable benchmark um, market-based tool to say, okay, why don't we just operate within, you know, some some proximity of this benchmark on, on the loads. And as the benchmark goes up, the rates go up. As it goes down, they go down. It's just kind of the same thing as real-time pricing. But I'm seeing just a lot of openness to that idea of somehow saying, I just need the trucks and I get it. I'll pay what I have to pay. Um, but let's somehow also have some guardrails there. And maybe guardrails is a benchmarking tool that uh, you and your customers both uh, find to be accurate and reliable. Um, and will they go back to the old way of thinking when things change? I don't know. I think some of these changes are permanent. But yeah, I think the temptation is always to offer all of the loads to the cheapest provider and save the most amount of money. Um, 
probably easy to slide back into that. Uh, but I don't, I don't, I don't know that it's going to be so easy for that for 2019 to come back. Um, I could be wrong. I don't know what you guys think, but um, I don't know if it goes back to that. I think it's a, it's an open book right now. It really is. There's just too many things going on to to predict a 2019 or predict too far uh, in, into the uh, the future into the trucking hyper object. Yeah. The trucking hyper. That's what I'm going to start calling it from now on. The trucking hyper object, uh, certainly. So I don't know. I, I would like to ask you this because you talked to a lot of shippers about the RFP process, which is the first step uh, that, that kind of creates that routing guide and the, the problems that, that we all know that are with RFPs. I mean, it's, it's, everyone has a problem with the RFP process and, and certainly the length of time it takes uh, is just way too long. Do you think that there's real strides into at least changing that process to where it's a, a bit more flexible than it is now? You know, I mean, I think probably I'll keep coming back to this, but I think, I don't know that they're changing that process from what I see, but I think we're, we're seeing more of these real-time APIs, right? Where they're saying that process is, is going to cover 60% of my freight, or that process is going to cover 80% of my freight. And now I need to really find another way of, of managing those rejections. I don't think they're changing that process much. Um, you know, the, the last thing that we, um, that I wrote about on this one was the expectation that shippers write into the contracts with their carriers or brokers that they have to be able to provide 10 or 20% more capacity during their peak season. And it's just, it's not possible, right? The carriers don't have the capacity. Um, just, they wouldn't be profitable if they had 20% idle capacity waiting around for somebody's peak season. So they agree to it. And then the shippers feel like they have a, a perfectly executed routing guide because they say, okay, we get it. There's going to be some ups and downs of volatility, but it's okay because they're going to give us 20% more trucks because they said they would. Um, I think that, you know, there's kind of a very established guard in supply chain of, of people and the way that the things are done. I don't know if the RFP process really changes, but I think, um, I think that the realization that, it's only going to get you so far, maybe is the bigger change that I'm seeing. I'm not seeing it. I don't have a single customer that's changed their process. Um, they're just saying, okay, well, how do we lock down the other 30% that we need? Um, if that makes any sense. You know, I, I have a question and, and, you know, obviously I'm coming from a biased perspective here, but, um, you know, prior to Sonar, a lot of your data and benchmarking platforms and so forth were, were lagging by a, a long period of time, you know, three, six months or long. And that makes sense if you're looking at a 12-month contract to just look backwards, you know, a, a similar amount of time, even if it's lagging and just kind of use that as a benchmark. But with what you're saying about uh, these 30-day, 90-day, day of where real-time information is crucial in order to be able to understand where the market's at and, and, and react accordingly. Are you starting to see some benefits of you know, real-time data like what, what's found in Sonar when both parties have that to be able to understand where the market's at and be able to be more efficient with some of these quick RFP cycles? Well, so I, I use Sonar. I think it's um, the most valuable to me 
in terms of the real-time pricing tool that we have. So it's, it's, yeah, it's telling us what's happening next week, not what's hap- what happened last month or three months ago or six months ago, which at this point, it just doesn't even apply, right? I mean, we talk about tender rejection rates and, and uh, truckload rates, how much they've gone up in the last 12 months. I mean, um, you know, to month over uh, month, it's just it's essentially that data just doesn't apply uh, if you're using one of the tools that looks backwards too far. I think some of the tools are trying to look backwards a little bit less, right? Um, not 30 days and 90 days and 12 months anymore, but even a shorter period of time. But for me, Sonar has been, you know, to be able to look forward is, uh, you know, and then you guys recognize um, as rejection rates go up, then, then spot rates go up. Um, so we need to, that's been, that's been the most valuable for me. Uh, in terms of all of the tools. And I know the shippers um, community is really open to to Sonar. And every time I get on LinkedIn, it looks like somebody's sharing a different chart. Um, so so I know the whole community is really open to it. And, and you're right. I think it's in terms of the impact it's had on the industry, everybody's paying attention to it. I mean, everybody's paying attention to real time. Thank you once more. Omar, for for joining us today. It's always a pleasure having you on, and I look forward to you coming on back uh, as we get into June uh, for for another talk uh, about, I I would imagine, yet another article that you'll write for us. (laughs) Yeah, figure out what to write. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, don't worry. We'll do a show around it. (laughs) Thank you again. Um, I I guess if you can uh, tell the audience where to define service transportation and and kind of yeah uh, you know our website would point you to the right thing we have a careers page for our website if it's jobs you know if it's shippers you know obviously info we have real time you know we're doing a lot with tms integrations and adding information about that on the website um blue yonder blue j mercury gate oracle we're doing real time with all of those tmss um but the, the website would direct you or just info at search transportation and it'll it'll probably hit my inbox so But thank you guys also for having me again. Always a pleasure for me as well. So look forward to speaking again. And um, until then. Until then, thank you very much. Thanks, Omar. Good. Well, that was a good start to a busy week for us. We have a busy week. We do. We do. Lots of coffee to put down. We do. We're (laughs) going to put a lot of coffee down this week because we have Freight Waves live at home starting tomorrow. Two-day event. And guess what? We have... Shows on both Wednesday and Thursday, but even more importantly, if you go to live.freightwaves.com and register right now, we're going to give away some stuff, and we personally are going to give away things on both shows, right? We're giving away a Traeger grill both days. Richie, you'll be giving someone a Traeger grill. Love it. Wednesday and Thursday, and then the end of the show, the Sonos Home Entertainment System. And if you haven't experienced Sonos, it is fantastic. You can put a speaker outside as you're grilling. I mean, it's, it's I did phenomenal. that yesterday. I grilled with the speaker going. It was fantastic. I want to share that experience. I know, right? You should want to share that experience. So Wednesday, May 19th, which is tomorrow, we'll have Robin Jacks uh, about selling on visibility uh, with Project 44. Uh, used to be Ocean Insights before the acquisition. Then Justin Bally, uh, co-founder and chief strategy officer of Rose Rocket. And then Thursday, we have uh, from Salesforce, Scott Bargan. And then from Zoom Transportation, he's a big reader himself, Mustafa Azizi. 
Andrew Cox and I uh, interviewed him a couple months ago, and he kept on handing up his prop of books. So you might have to bring up a, a couple philosophy books with you yeah. Yeah. on on Thursday so you guys can compare notes. I only know enough to know that I don't know enough. <laughs> <laughs> I think, therefore, I am. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's going to be a great conference. Shelly Simpson will be keynoting. That will start off uh, 9 a.m. tomorrow. Uh, she's, with, of course, with J.B. Hunt. And then we have some some great other speakers here. We have Mark Yeager from Redwood. We have Derek Leathers from Werner. Paul Smith from Swift Transportation. We're going to talk to Thomas Vehicles with Waymo. And that will be our very own Alan Adler, the godfather of trucking, of, of OEMs. He knows everything about that. And then Russ Falcon from, he's the CTO of Global Trans. He's going to have a really great conversation with our very own Nate Tobik on cybersecurity, which is a huge, it's been huge for the last 12 to 15 months from where I sit and where I'm concerned because we've covered a lot of cyber cyber attacks. We've heard about a lot of cyber attacks that we really couldn't confirm. Uh, Colonial Pipeline just went, you know, they reportedly paid $5 million to uh, a ransomware attack and it's more prevalent than you think. And to the security risks penetrate companies much more than is quarantine. You can quarantine those strikes, but it is tough. And then all the great freight tech that you can imagine, 20 demos, seven-minute demos uh, from great freight tech companies. So you can come in and shop around, set up appointments. Everyone will have a virtual booth so you can meet these vendors directly, uh, start digitizing your businesses and, and adopting some, some great technology uh, along the way. And then, of course, what the truck will be live at your doorstep will be live. Uh, it is nine to five, two full days of freight logistics. Uh, it's Freight Waves live at home for spring. And we have a, a chat board right there. So you can ask questions directly to the speakers as the session is, is going on. But it's, it's going to be amazing. It's, it's going to be good. And we're going to be busy because we're going to be here in the mornings of both days to, uh, to talk sales, talk freight sales, and check out the, the new technologies that are, are certainly on the way. So, again, Wednesday and Thursday, you can go to live.freightwaves.com and uh, register there. And you can, you know, you can watch, pass, put that copy down at uh, tv.freightwaves.com and download on Freightcast wherever you download your podcasts. I got friends only wanna talk business. I got expensive, cause winning's expensive. I got expensive, cause winning's expensive. I've been getting out of work. And I've been shutting out the stars. Yeah, cause when it rains, then it pours. Yeah, and I'm ready for some more.